This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, June 4th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Telluride approves reimbursement to Telluride Foundation. Legislature nears end of session. Balloon Fest takes off once more. And a mountain weather forecast. But first... A Louisiana woman died on Thursday after her RV crashed on Slick Rock Hill outside of Egner. According to the San Miguel County coroner, Anna Garcia was driving the RV when it crashed, killing her instantly. She was 36 years old. Garcia's husband was following behind the RV in their Jeep when it left the road at mile marker 19 on Highway 141. Multiple agencies responded to the incident. The cause and manner of death are under investigation. Crippen Funeral Homes will attend to services. This is the third fatality on Slick Rock in the last year. As the coronavirus pandemic crept closer to San Miguel County in 2020, the Telluride Foundation pivoted its Good Neighbor Fund towards COVID relief. What we make is uh, cash reimbursements for people that are going through a, uh, a financial crisis or, or a financial hardship crisis. That's Paul Major, president of the Telluride Foundation, speaking before Telluride Town Council this week. The Telluride Foundation has raised and distributed roughly $1.5 million through the Good Neighbor Fund in the past year, but now the well has run dry and the foundation has stopped accepting applications for new assistance. And Major is concerned. While COVID is sort of feels like it's sunsetting, the impacts on low-wage workers are still very real and they're still here and we really don't know what it's going to look like. So this week, Major went before town council to ask for a reimbursement of some of the funding used specifically for rent assistance in Telluride-owned properties. Between March of last year when we started this and to date, uh, we've uh, paid to the town of Telluride $61,000 in rent for your tenants. On the whole, council appreciates the importance of the Good Neighbor Fund, but for some, the request seems inappropriate. Here's Mayor Delaney Young. I've never heard of a philanthropic foundation asking for reimbursement after expending monies for an intended purpose and then going and asking for somebody to reimburse them for the monies that were used exactly how they were supposed to be used. But there I go. Again, using logic. Councilmember Geneva Shawnette agrees. I don't want this to set a precedent for, you know, the responsibility of the town to reimburse other organizations whose mission is this and who do it very successfully just because we had a big year. But for Councilmember Tom Watkinson, as long as the money is going towards those who need it, he feels comfortable. Whether it comes from town of Tyra directly or We give it to Tri-County or Foundation for that to be dispersed that way. We're still supporting the community with those monies, and I think that's a good thing. To that point, Young has concerns as to why residents haven't been going to the town itself when they need rental assistance. There's this lingering thing that's been a little bit of concern to me. We created our own $50,000 Telluride Housing Relief Fund, and we still have... $39,720 in that fund. 
or 80% of the fund is still there. And I'm just curious if the requests are still coming in, why that hasn't been distributed. Councilmember Adrian Christie thinks, to some extent, it's a matter of the messenger. We had the sentiment that, like, if people couldn't pay their rent, we wanted to help them. And the reality, I think, for a lot of people in our community, vulnerable people, low-income people, people who don't speak English, whatever it is, like, there are avenues that feel more or less comfortable for certain people. And I, I think it's possible that despite as much as we said that we wanted to help and that we asked our tenants to come to us and tell us if they needed more assistance, the reality is some of them feel more comfortable with the Telluride Foundation or Tri-County Health Network's navigators. In the end, council approved reimbursing the Telluride Foundation the total amount, draining its housing relief fund plus some. The funding will be available for residents who live or work in Telluride through the Good Neighbor Fund. According to Mountain Village officials, the foundation did not make a formal request to Mountain Village Town Council for similar reimbursement. The Telluride Mountain Village Owners Association was not available for comment by broadcast deadline as to if it received a similar request. Colorado's General Assembly is nearing its final days of the 2021 legislative session, but a number of bills are still making their way towards Governor Jared Polis's desk. In this installment of Capital Conversation, KOTO's State House reporter Scott Franz shares insight on several bills heading to the governor. Have a listen. Scott, thanks for taking a few minutes to chat with me today. Hey, my pleasure, Julia. So the state legislature is nearing the finish line for their 2021 session. Can you share a little bit of like where we are and when the General Assembly is likely to kind of wrap up for the year? Well, I I would kind of say that we are in a long final approach. (laughs) I think that's the best way I can categorize it. You know, they are passing some of their their biggest priorities. For example, Democrats um, were able to send Governor Polis the $5.4 billion transportation proposal, all of the gun control legislation. They have finished debates over plastic bag regulations. Um, now we're in this kind of phase where they're, they're still getting through some that bills they, they need to. For example, there's one on federal COVID relief, and they're also still introducing some bills very late in the game. My best guess at this point, and this could change by the hour, um, is that you know this session should wrap up either this weekend if they, they work through the weekend or sometime next week. You just mentioned one of the bills that I wanted to chat with you about, and that's the transportation bill. We've talked about this briefly before, but can you share a little bit what is in this bill? And then I know that there's having to do with fees to to raise money. So what is that going to mean for actual people in their day-to-day lives? Yeah, I'll start with kind of a broader look at the bill. Perhaps most importantly, this is changing the way Colorado is going to fund road work for, for the next decade. Um, you know, we've relied on a gas tax that lawmakers are quick to remind you has not been raised since the 90s. You know, so what this does is it it puts the cost burden on residents all around the state. You know, whether they're using roads directly, they will be paying a new fee um, every time they go to the gas pump, um, you know, starting at an extra two cents per gallon. 
um, or if they just get an Amazon delivery. You know, all these fees are designed to really pitch in for people using the roads. This just got passed, but is there a timeline for when folks will expect to see this extra two cents um, added onto their time at the at the gas pump? Yeah, so the gas the gas fees start uh, in July of next year, 2022. So so things will take some time before you start seeing these fees show up on your receipts. And then I expect, you know, it may take another year or two before you can point to a road project and say, hey, this, this was because of this Senate Bill 260. I also wanted to touch base with you about a, a stimulus bill that went through aiming to help folks in coal jobs transition into other work. Can you share a little bit about this bill? Yeah, so this, take us back in time real quick. Um, About two years ago, the state created this Office of Just Transition. Um, And what this was, it was recognizing that, you know, the coal industry around the state, you know, we were hearing a lot of mine closures being announced, um, coal-fired power plants, plans to wind them down, um, you know, in favor of more renewable sources of energy. Um, And what the state didn't do at that time was make a significant investment um, in funding this new office. You know, they created it, said they were going to put a focus on it, but money to actually help communities kind of transition away from coal and replace those jobs just wasn't there. So in this case, we're able to take some stimulus money and uh, invest to the tune of $15 million uh, in these programs. About $7 million of that is going to go to programs directly designed to help people in the coal industry, you know, get new training and find new careers. And the other half will go to communities, you know, think of places like Nucla, Natarita, you know, they're still actively trying to reinvent their economies because so much of their local job base was based on nearby mines. Final touch, and we actually haven't talked about this before. Obviously, we know that Colorado is a big outdoors place. And, you know, it's also a reality that a lot of outdoor spaces are typically pretty white. But there's a bill that is moving through looking to kind of shift that up a little bit. What is this bill? This is a very interesting proposal. It it comes from Representative Leslie Herod, uh, who leads the Black Caucus. And she says there's there's a problem she wants to help solve um, in Colorado's outdoor recreation scene. Um, and that is, you know, it's people in underserved communities, people of color, you know, don't have as much access to the outdoors. And, you know, she tells stories about people who kind of feel like they're getting weird looks when they go to fly fish or backpack, you know, because in her words, they're not viewed as the typical outdoor you know, recreationist. In fact, she cites some data from Fort Collins that although black people comprise 13% of the population, you know, they're only accounting for 1% of the visits to national forests. And, and this bill is an effort to, to start to try and change that by taking lottery funds to the tune of up to $3 million a year and doing some micro-grants to fund programs that are designed to help get underserved communities out into the great outdoors that we all love and enjoy here in Colorado. So that is on the verge of being sent to Governor Polis and, and has attracted 
you know, lots of bipartisan support, Republicans and Democrats getting getting behind this idea. Well, Scott, I know you are very busy with the final days of the legislature, um, but thank you so much for taking a few minutes to chat with me today. Hey, my pleasure, Julia. Thank you. That was KOTO Scott Franz reporting from Denver. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's a festival, the Hot Air Balloon Festival. The Telluride Balloon Festival is returning to the Box Canyon for the 37th year this weekend. And festival chair Marilyn Branch is excited. It's a festival I have always seen as, hey, this is the first one that's bringing you outside, out of your homes, onto the street to really enjoy something fun and different because there's no balloon rides in Telluride. But things will look different this year. For one, there will be fewer balloons. Partly because of the all the COVID stuff going on. Uh, some pilots didn't feel comfortable coming. Uh, but we do have 10 balloons that are going to be inflating on Saturday morning uh, after pilot briefing, so around 6.30, quarter of 7 in the morning in Town Park. That will happen on Sunday morning also. Another difference, there will be no balloon glow on Saturday night along Main Street. And of course, as always, flying will be weather dependent. And we have to have a little breeze that usually happens right when the sun peaks over Ajax and it kind of comes down the valley and then the balloons can just float right over Telluride. So I always say, hey, if the balloons are flying, follow them, watch them in their maneuvers and, and landings and taking the balloon down and whatever. It's always fun and it's always wonderful pictures. Rides are not for sale branch notes, but she says they may offer tethered rides open to the public with balloons tied to trucks. And they'll go up in the air about 30 feet or so, and they just hang there for a minute or two so people from the ground can get pictures. Sometimes another family member is on the ground and they want to get pictures and whatever, and then they'll come back down and the next people will get, one will get in when one will get out. So it's just a just a feel for what it's like to be floating in the air with a hot air balloon over the top of you. Branch is also excited that they'll be joined once again by Sam Parks. Who is the balloon meister of the really big Albuquerque balloon fiesta. He came two years ago for the first time and he said Telluride's little festival had always been on his bucket list. And I'm just like, wow, my little gig compared to Albuquerque? And I've flown in Albuquerque for 22 years, so I know how big that one is. According to Branch, masks are not required for those coming to Town Park to see the balloons, but... We are asking people to bring a mask because if they do have a chance to get into the balloon, that pi- a pilot could ask people to please wear a mask. The 37th Telluride Balloon Festival will take place this weekend with balloon inflation and launches from Town Park Saturday and Sunday mornings between 6 and 7 a.m., weather permitting. Public transportation down Valley is expanding next week. The San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation announced it will expand service into Two Rivers and Ilium starting Monday. The stop will be near the Ilium Industrial Park on the way between Placerville and Telluride, with four times for travel throughout the day. SMART will be releasing more summer and fall route schedules in the coming days, including those to Norwood and Rico.
Governments pass rules, regulations, requirements. Often they're approved specific to a time in history. In Telluride, the Hickox Rule is one such example. So the Hickox Rule is a town policy that was adopted in 1987 that basically states that Colorado Avenue businesses are allowed to place merchandise adjacent to their establishment in the two feet of sidewalk immediately outside of their establishment without the need for a town permit or agreement. That's Telluride Town Clerk Tiffany Cavanaugh. She notes in the Hickox rule, there are several weekends stipulated when businesses are not allowed to have merchandise on the sidewalk. Bluegrass, Jazz, the 4th of July, Telluride Film Festival, and the Grateful Dead concert. Yep, the one that happened in 1987. Nearly 35 years after the Hickox rule was adopted, Telluride Town Council is revisiting the rule to see if it's still necessary or needs update. We know that establishments place merchandise out on the sidewalk during festival weekends and the 4th of July. So council is asked to consider whether this should be updated to either allow establishments to place uh, merchandise out on the sidewalk during those weekends, or if the town is too busy and you think that the sidewalk should not be obstructed during those specific weekends, maybe think about um, adding other events that have are now in place since 1987. On the whole, council is supportive of keeping the rule with an update. Here's council member Geneva Shawnette. Personally, I feel like it's great. And I think that the vibe on Main Street of being able to be outside and shop around is kind of like the vibe that we want. Um, I wonder if just pursuing some extra outreach, as Tiffany mentioned, about the weekends that get really wild so that we have more sidewalk space will achieve the goal we want. Councilmember Adrian Christie doesn't have an issue with keeping displays during festivals. The sidewalks are busy all the time. Um, I think it's unfair for us to try to pick and choose which weekends. And we have like large scale festivals that aren't even listed here. And the Grateful Dead one is not going to come back to Telluride most likely. Um, although I don't want to break any hearts. Council directed staff to draft language, keeping the Hickox rule in place, but eliminating the requirement to remove merchandise on certain weekends. The new language will also expand the area of the Hickox rule to include businesses off Main Street. U.S. Senator Michael Bennett of Colorado is pushing to get new disaster mitigation legislation included in President Joe Biden's Jobs and Infrastructure Plan. KVNF's Kate Redmond recently spoke with Bennett about what the legislation would do. Senator Michael Bennett introduced new legislation that will mitigate extreme weather events, including wildfire. This proactive package called the Shelter Act would create a first-of-its-kind disaster mitigation tax credit for working families and small business owners in disaster-prone areas. Americans can receive federal tax relief following a disaster to help recoup their losses, but there isn't an incentive to prepare for future threats. This bill would change that. I interviewed Senator Bennett on Thursday. You've introduced with Senator Cassidy the Shelter Act, which will help families plan and prepare for extreme weather event. Can you please tell our listeners what this entails? You know, in Colorado, we've just come out of one of the worst wildfire seasons that we've ever had, and we're approaching another season that could be even more intense. And today we're spending money fighting fires rather than doing mitigation on the front end, which is both cheaper and more effective. So the Shelter Act 
What other qualifying mitigation expenses can be included? There's a huge variety because Bill Cassidy, who's my co-sponsor, is from Louisiana, so his concern is with flooding, not with fires. Other examples would include improving the durability of roof coverings or fire resistance of roofs, purchasing and installing check valves to prevent flood water from backing up into drains, the purchase and installation of exterior walls or doors or windows that conform to ignition-resistant construction standards, performing the fire maintenance procedures that are identified by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, or the Forest Service, including fuel management techniques such as creating fuel and fire breaks. So it's a pretty broad range. It really leaves the decision-making at the local level. And this is the first of its kind. Yeah, we've never had a bill like this before. And the fact that Bill and I are from different parties and from very different regions of the country, it suggests that there's broad support. And I hope that we're going to pass it as part of the next infrastructure bill. I was going to ask you that, since it's being introduced in a bipartisan fashion, do you expect bipartisan support? I certainly hope so. I don't see any reason why this bill should not have bipartisan support. How does President Biden's American Jobs Plan dovetail with this bill? That jobs plan is going to form the basis of the infrastructure package that the Congress ultimately passes. And President Biden actually included a reference to the Shelter Act in his proposal. So I think we're off to a very good start. And and if we can get that bill passed, the Shelter Act likely will be part of it. And folks who rent are also eligible for this tax credit? They are. People who rent can, and who improve their property that they're living in can also receive the credit. What kind of support are you receiving from the community? A lot of people are doing fire mitigation anyway, and so they think having the benefit of the tax credit is an added plus and will inspire their friends and neighbors to do the work that they want to do. But it's also, I mean, we're supported nationally by the National Association of Home Builders, the National Association of Realtors, and even the Home Depot. So there's a pretty broad base of support. You've introduced this before. Why do you think this has a better chance of passing this time? It's been a long time since we've passed an infrastructure bill in the Congress, and I believe we will get one passed this summer and that this will be part of it as well. I also think that there's a renewed understanding of how dangerous these fires are to the West. People have watched Colorado have three worst fires that we've had in our state's history last year, and they understand that. I've also introduced the Outdoor Restoration Partnership Act, which would invest $60 billion in our national forests to protect our watersheds that are so critical to our farmers and ranchers and to our communities downstream from those watersheds. That also has been included in the Biden proposal. It also represents the idea that doing fire mitigation just makes sense from a public safety point of view. It makes sense from an economic point of view. And I hope very much that this will be included in the infrastructure package as well. President Biden's job plan will invest about 1% of GDP per year over eight years to upgrade our nation's infrastructure, revitalize manufacturing, invest in basic research and science, and shore up supply chains. 
The Shelter Act, co-authored by Senator Bennett and Senator Bill Cassidy, a Republican from Louisiana, is expected to be included in the jobs plan in some form to build resilience in communities prone to extreme weather events. In 2020 alone, Colorado's cost to fight fire topped $77 million. For KVNF and Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Kate Redmond. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for partly cloudy skies tonight with a low in the mid-40s. Saturday should be mostly sunny during the day and mostly cloudy at night, with a 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon and evening. The high is near 75 degrees with a low around 45. Sunday, expect mostly sunny skies with a chance of showers and thunderstorms and a high in the mid-70s. Sunday night calls for partly cloudy skies with a chance of showers and thunderstorms and a low around 45 degrees. This has been the news for Friday, June 4th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Hola Radio Escuchas de Coto. Junio es el mes de la gerencia del inmigrante, que es una celebración nacional que unirá a todos los inmigrantes y sus hijos. Es un mes dedicado a empoderar a los inmigrantes y elevar sus logros y contribuciones que fortalecen nuestra economía y enriquecen nuestra cultura. Tri-County Health Network, junto con el Comité de Defensa Latina, tiene varios eventos comunitarios en persona planeados para todo el mes de junio. Este domingo que viene, únese con nosotros para un evento comunitario de la una hasta las tres y media en Town Park. Venga y aprenda sobre la legislación migratoria actual, cómo está impactando nuestra comunidad inmigrante y cómo usted puede participar. June is Immigrant Heritage Month. Throughout the month, join us for a variety of events to celebrate the importance, value, and hard work of immigrants in the United States. Tri-County Health Network and the Latino Advocacy Committee are teaming up for a variety of exciting events throughout the month. This Sunday, join us in Town Park from 1 to 3.30 p.m. and hear from guest speakers about how to create positive change and inclusive spaces in our community and learn about recent immigration reform. Stay tuned throughout the month for more exciting events to celebrate Immigrant Heritage Month. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Koto. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.